Hello and welcome Friar Town. Today is February 27th, and we're going to be joined by PC Friar legend, Ernie D. Gregorio. I am Billy Ritchie, and this is the Friar Podcast. everybody and welcome back to the Friar Podcast. I'm of course your host Billy Ritchie joined by a very special guest from North Providence, Rhode Island. Undoubtedly one of the best point guards to ever suit up for the Providence Friars. Was the NBA Rookie of the Year, led the Friars to a a Final Four run, averaged 24-8 his senior year, was an All-American all three years he suited up for the Friars and just an all-around great person and great person for our program who recently dropped a book, A Star with a Broken Heart, we're going to talk about. And just, you know, as an Italian-American man myself from Providence, like just just one of my own. I'm really excited to chat today with Ernie DiGregorio. Ernie, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be on, Billy. Thank you for having me. It, 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 tr- tr- trust me, the pleasure is all mine. We enjoyed all the Providence Small World Connection talk before we hopped on, but really want to talk about to kind of kick things off like your upbringing in basketball like growing up in north providence what was it like playing youth basketball and and basketball in middle school and high school before you got to pc well i went to stephen only school in north providence and they really didn't have any you know bitty basketball and all that stuff but we had like a little league we would play in a small gym in the uh elementary school and I did that, you know, my last two years in elementary school, uh, seventh and eighth grade. And um, it was fun. You know, I played with my younger brother, who was like three years younger. And I picked all the fifth graders when I was in the eighth grade. And I called the team the Lakers and we won the championship. So I had a lot of fun. But basically where I did most of my practicing was the outside court right there at Stephen Only. Yeah. And obviously I think fans, even of my generation, they know you for your electric passes, right. And like, you know, the showtime as behind the backs and, you know, full court passes and just the court vision. Did you have that sort of vision when you were younger? Did you, did you know in yourself when you were playing pickup games that you were special with the basketball in your hands? No, but what I did, was I practiced so many hours of dribbling a basketball. And when I did that, I always imagined there was a defender in front of me. So I would cross over right to left, left to right. And I would spin. I'd go behind my back, between my legs. And after years and years and hours and hours of practice, I was able to uh handle the ball without looking at it and so i could see the whole court and that really helped me become the passer i became because my college coach dave gavitt used to say that the ball was an extension of my arm because i had it in it so many hours and so that was the reason why i think i was a, a great passer because i could see the floor and i was always imagining and creating situations for my teammate. So I would throw a ball 
you know, five feet in front of Kevin Staked when he would run it down. Once you do that two or three times, then he knows the run and I know how to throw it. And it becomes a, a chemistry. You know, it's actually interesting that you bring that up because I have heard you mention before that a lot of it was the practice that you put into it and the time you spent just dribbling and pretending like there was a defender in front of you. I've had God Sham got on the show and he said the same exact thing. You know, in the, back when he was coming up in New York City, he would dribble the basketball everywhere he went. You know, he'd stay out when the streetlights would be on and he'd always pretend like, you know, he'd be crossing somebody up. And it's so interesting to hear from two prior point guard greats that they did the same thing decades apart. I think if you heard from any player, any great player who could handle the ball, they tell you they had to, you know, really work on their dribbling and uh, ball handling skills. It just amazes me now. You know, I have a little granddaughter who's, 12 years old and she was at one of those skills uh, clinic the other day and I went and I watched and it's amazing the things they teach now and uh, you know I would never ever even imagine doing those things but that's why I was different because um, I kept it simple but I was effective because as soon as I seen someone with a half a foot in front of their defender, I'd release the ball. So I wouldn't fool around with it. You know, you see guys today, they dribble between their legs, they stand there and they look and they look. I like to get it and attack right away. Absolutely. There's a lot of east-west dribbling these days rather than north-south, but that's uh, that's for another discussion. Um, Would love to kind of chat about how did you decide on PC? How did Dave Gavitt get you, you know, the hometown kid to commit to Providence College? Well, Gavitt wasn't really at PC when uh, I was being recruited. I was being recruited by Joe Mullaney, who was mm-hmm. there with uh, Jimmy Walker, Lenny Wilkins, you know, and all the great players, John Thompson. Uh, and so he recruited me. And he was um, uh, a great coach and a real good guy. In, in the old days, you didn't have ESPN where you had, you know, 40 basketball games on in one day. And it was only one show in town. It was the Providence College Friars playing with Chris Clock, the announcer, doing the game. And that had such a huge impact on everyone in the state of Rhode Island, you know, and me too, that I said I wanted to play for PC and I wanted to play in front of my family and my friends. And I really never went on one recruiting uh, trip during my whole senior year. I knew where I wanted to play. Easy stuff. And, you know, to, to be the hometown hero is certainly special. We've seen, you know, some guys, you know, go away from home and then they end up coming back to PC. PC is a very special place, you know, as a very special community. And, in the 1970-71 season, you got right into it. You had 18 and a half points a game. You averaged 48% from the field, six and a half assists. Like, what was it like stepping on the floor playing college basketball and just being so successful to start? Well, it wasn't a surprise to me because I was really cocky and I knew how good I was. When I was in prep school, in high school, I averaged 37 a game, 30 in prep school, 30 as a freshman. So at PC, because freshmen couldn't play on a varsity. So, you know, I had no doubt in my ability. 
but to be able to be a sophomore and be given the basketball, you know, of a uh, Division One team and a school rich in tradition like Providence College was a thrill. And that was my goal, you know, to start when I was a sophomore. And uh, it was a lot of fun. I, I like playing with uh, Jimmy Laranega, who's now the coach of Miami, who's been very successful. I played with mm -hmm. Ray Johnson, a six foot seven rebounder and center from uh, South Kingston. He was all state in high school and his team won a lot of state championships. I played with Donnie Lewis, who was about six five eleven, but had long arms and could really defend. So I, I really enjoyed uh, my sophomore year. So, yeah, Jimmy Laranega, he had some game in him. He averaged about 13 a game uh, that sophomore season, huh? Yeah, and before that, I think he averaged like 18 his junior year. So he, he was a real smart player, moved without the ball, you know, knew how to play, was heady, and uh, he was a lot of fun to play with. So, and that's a good, that's a good point for the fans that I didn't even realize. It's like you, you had to play, you couldn't play varsity as a freshman. It's like your freshman year, in a sense, playing varsity was, it was your sophomore year. Like, and that's why you played the three years. Right. And that's why I get a kick out of, you know, when they compare people who played four years and their point total to people who played three years. I think it's comparing apples to oranges, you know. I don't think it's really fair. But if I ever played four years, I would have had a zillion points. And if Walker ever played four years, he would have had more than I had, but he would have had zillions of points. But uh, in those days, freshmen couldn't play varsity. It's just wild to think about now. Obviously, times have certainly changed a good amount. Now, are there any game before we get to the 1972-73 season? Are there any games in 70-71 or 71-72 that really kind of stick out to you? That you know, I know you guys beat URI um, in your sophomore season. I'm sure that was satisfying as it always is to beat a crosstown rival. Um, you know, multiple because it was multiple times. Like you played them home and away back then, correct? Yeah, we played them twice, which was fun. You know, the games that stick out to me are playing for the first time in Madison Square Garden, you know, when I was a sophomore, because Madison Square Garden, you know, was the mecca of college basketball with all the media. And the first game I played in Madison Square Garden, you know, we played Fordham, and I had like about 27 points and about 15 assists. And the next day in the paper, it said, you know, a new star is born, you know, uh, in college basketball. So that was a big thrill for me because I always wanted to play good in Madison Square Garden. Those are the games and the games on the road. You know, we played when I was a junior, Southern Cal, and they were in the top 10. And we went out there and they had Paul Westfall, who was a great player. And Marvin was on my team. He was a sophomore. And we beat them out there on national TV. In the old days, when you were a player, you'd love to play on national television because that's how you'd make a name. And if you won, and that's what made it really special. It wasn't every game was on television and everybody was watching. So you, when you had that big game and the pressure was on, that's when you had to produce. You guys played Brown multiple times back in the day, yep. Holy Cross, um, some familiar names of Creighton and DePaul, funny enough. Like, I just think it's interesting to look back at the teams that you played compared to the teams that we play now. And there's some familiar teams that, that you guys played during your era. 
Yeah, they played same some teams for, you know, 50 years. You know, uh, there's rivalries like Villanova, I think they played for years. Villanova was always good. They had good players, guys that went on to be pros. Creighton had a guy, Cyril Baptiste was a, went on to be a prof- professional player. So we would always look at, you know, every team would have a couple of stars and how good they were. And Gavitt would always figure out different defenses, how to hold them in check. So let's talk about the final four year. Going into that season, did you think that you guys had potential to make it all the way to a final four? Oh, yeah. We knew right away. You know, we had two guys that were potential, you know, first team All-Americans and Marvin Bonds and myself and Kevin Stakem was coming on the team that year and we knew he had practiced with us. He was able to practice with us and we knew what he could do. He could really shoot it and score. And so we had uh, three guys who, you know, played pro basketball for, for years. So we knew he had the nucleus. Marvin was really special because he averaged like 18, 19 rebounds a games and played great defense. And uh, we used to run and, I remember the first uh, day we had practice, Coach Gavitt called me in his office and he told me, he said, Ernie D, I never would do this before and I've never done it, but I'm going to give you the keys to the car and we're going to go as far as you can take us. And if you're a player and a coach has that kind of confidence in you, that means he's going to let you, you know, run and take shots and you're not going to be controlled. And I, I had a, a little podcast today with Devin Cotter and Corey Floyd, and mm-hmm. I actually told them they were showing some film when I was making some passes, and I told them that we never ran a play, and they couldn't believe it because <laughs> we played against man to man. We play pick and roll, and you know we take the fast break every time we had it. And if it was a zone, we get in the gaps. I was pretty good with the ball, so Gavitt had a lot of confidence in me, and he he let me play my game, and uh, that's why we averaged 89 points a game, and we didn't play the whole game. So we we had a real – he used to tell us a, a great offense is a great defense, and we had a great offense, and we had Marvin in the back to rebound and play defense. So we were a special team. We were 27-2, and two, Billy, that year before we went into the finals, and the only game we lost – was UCLA at UCLA <laughs> and Utah uh, and uh, the San- and we lost to Santa Clara and the Utah yep. Clara. So those were the two games we lost. And I remember after we lost the UCLA game, the media came up to me and said, what do you think? And I said, we won't lose another game the rest of the year. And we didn't. We, we didn't lose until we uh, played in the final four and Marvin got hurt against Memphis State. And and for and for the record, that UCLA team was the Bill Walton team as well, yeah. um, which is it, it wild. I think on a broadcast, he asked he he shouted you out on a broadcast when he was covering a PC game. I remember a couple of years back. Um, yeah, they had but, won fifty three or fifty seven in a row when we played them, and I think they took the streak up to seventy two or seventy three. So it was amazing. I mean, just seeing the point totals that you guys had that season. You know, there were plenty of games that you walked away with 100, you know, 90 at the lowest kind of 80 points. Like you guys scored the basketball at will 
um, and obviously played with that pace. Like you mentioned, like Marvin obviously was an incredible rebounder and you were able to get out and just take the fast break when you could. We took it every time, you know, and when it wasn't there, then, you know, we set up, but uh, we'd get layups. So we'd get open 10 foot jumpers off the backboard and uh, it makes the game easy and a lot of fun when players are scoring because every player likes to put points on the board and the next day reading the paper, how many points they got next to their name. Absolutely. So in that, in that final four run, like the year before you guys had made the NCAA tournament, but went out in the first round, I believe to Penn, you saw Penn again in the final four run. What was it like to see them again the next year? Well, Marvin, I think, shot 10 for 10 from the floor. He didn't miss a shot. And uh, we we were ready. We were a better team. We were stronger. I remember I used to uh, pick up Kevin Stakem at his dorm at 5.30 in the morning, and we'd go over to Mount Pleasant track, and we'd run 440s and sprints every morning, every day. And then we get to practice, we'd be that much stronger because, you know, we had one goal, Marvin and myself, which was we wanted to be first-round draft picks and we wanted to sign big contracts in the NBA. And every single day, that's all we worked for. And uh, Gavin let us have fun. We laughed every single day of practice, but no one worked harder than us. And in the end, it showed. It really did. And, you know, you guys went along a magical run and you play teams like Maryland and Memphis and then Bobby Knight's Indiana Hoosiers. What was that experience like? Yeah, see, see that was not a really a good barometer of our season because since then, they used to have a consolation game in the Final Four. So in other words, mm-hmm. if you lost the first game in the Final Four, the two losers would play. And when you lose, your team is absolutely deflated and you have mm-hmm. nothing to play for. So, you know, Bobby Knight's team played hard, and Quinn Buckton was a really tough defender and everything, but your heart, you know, our heart wasn't in it. The, the place wasn't full. Marvin wasn't playing, and uh, they beat us. But uh, they took that, that Constellation game out, you know, for years now. Yeah. You know, yep. it hasn't been there. Yeah, it is interesting to see, you know, obviously, you know, it's 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 single elimination in today's world, but to see the last two games of the year, how you guys finished out was definitely different on the on on the stat sheet. But you know, for those who don't know, you know, a lot of people think of the Dunkin' Donuts Center and now the Amico Mutual Pavilion. Back in the day it was the Providence the Providence Civic Center. Can you explain for the new maybe some of the newer fans and some of the kids who are in college now, like what the atmosphere like was back back then at the Providence Civic Center? Yeah, it was sold out, standing room only crowd. You know, uh, people love to watch us play because they never knew what was going to happen. I mean, we, I had one of the nicest compliments Coach Gavin always gave me. He said there were only two players in his lifetime that had the ability to bring the crowd to their feet with their play. And one was Bob Cousy, and the other one was Ernie D. So the way I played and got those outlets from Marvin, as soon as I seen someone open, I don't care if I had to throw it behind my back, you know, dribble between my legs, but there was a spontaneity and, and, and a creativity that you don't see because 
you watch today's basketball and, you know, almost every game you can tell what the score is going to be. They're going to be close unless, you know, someone's really better than the other team. But in our case, when we got up six or eight, we wanted to blow you out by 28. So we just mm-hmm. kept coming in waves at you. And that's what people love. People love to see you put the uh, you know, pedal to the metal and really lay it on people. And, and that's how we play. Let's go, let's go to Marvin really quick. And then I, I want to transition in, in, into the book. Marvin obviously was a unique talent to average 19 rebounds a game in that final four season is just, I mean, how many guys even average 13 rebounds a game in today's game, right? So 19 rebounds is absolutely insane. Basically almost averaged 20 and 20 at 18 and 19. You obviously had a special relationship with them. I know you've told the story, you know, you used to pick them up in your Corvette, you know, and you'd go, you know, shoot around, go to practice. Feel free to tell the fans who don't know the story of, you know, Ernie D and Marvin Barnes and your, and your close, close relationship. Well, the first day I went to college, I used to go up and coach Gavitt's office in alumni hall and, you know, see him and talk to him and how did the day go? And we talk and then the players would work out in the afternoon around two 30 in alumni hall. They close it off and we play pickup games, you know, three on three, sometimes full court. And uh, one day, you know, uh, maybe a couple of weeks into the year, he said to me, Ernie, there's a kid at Central who loves to play basketball as much as you. I want you to go pick him up one day, bring him over here and let him play with the guys. So I said, all right, coach, I'll get him. So I went and picked him up, you know, my Corvette. He jumped in. The first thing he said is, nice ride. I'm going to get me one. And uh, the next year he had a new uh, LTD with News 24 on on the license plate. And so we went over. We played these pickup games, two on two. He was on my side. And, you know, we won every game. He, the guy was unbelievable. He blocked shots. He rebound. He was funny. He was uh, outgoing. And pe- everybody loved him. And uh, Gavitt was looking up in the window. He gives me the thumbs up. And the next day I go see him. And he says, Ernie, stick with that guy. If we get him, he'll be the guy who can rebound and trigger our fast break. I said, Coach, he's a great guy. I will. And from that day, until he died when he was 61 years old, we were best friends and we talked to each other and we dealt with each other all our lives. So he was special as a person, but as a player, I mean, when these people talk about so-and-so got a double-double, go look at his statistics, Marvin Bonds, and see how many double-doubles he had in his career. He probably had 100. I mean, every game he had like 19 rebounds and he always scored over 10 points. In fact, I think his senior year, he averaged 20-something. And the year, my senior year, I think he averaged 18. So he was a double-double machine. But I seen him get 34 rebounds one time against Buffalo State in Alumni Hall and block 12 shots. And nobody does that unless you're a you know, unique, special, super talent. And, and that's what he was. He was really really gifted and he worked his tail off you know later on in his life when he got involved with drugs his game deteriorated because of his strength but when he was in college he never used drugs or he never drank and he uh he worked on his body in the weight rooms all the time and he was 
you know, a relentless worker in practice. And uh, he just got better and better. And then when he got to the ABA, he, um, you know, his first year, he had a great year. Second year, he played Julius Irving head-to-head in the uh, seven-game series and and outscored Julius Irving. So he worked on his offensive game and got a great jump shot. And he was the, the whole package. Absolutely incredible. Like for his seat, yeah, for his senior year to average 22 points at 18.7 rebounds a game, that's like video game ass numbers. In- incredible. And then you guys both, you, you shared a friendship and a bond. And you also shared, you both were rookie of the year, um, the year you were drafted into the, to the NBA, well, ABA. Um, and, and, and that's, that's a cool statistic as well, that you both were rookie of the year the first year you played in the next level. Yeah, no question. Uh, that was a thrill for me because that was my goal to be rookie of the year. And I led the league in uh, assists and free throw percentage. And the next year, Marvin came out, Philadelphia drafted him second after Bill Walton was the first pick. And he said uh, they were offered him more money for, with the St. Louis Spirits. And he went to the ABA. But that yep. was his downfall because that was a renegade league and that's where the drug started. And that's, you know, I don't I think if he went to the NBA, it wouldn't have happened as quick as it did because it happened awful quick with him. Yeah. He averaged 24 and 15 his rookie year in the ABA, 24 and 10. And then, you know, continued on to have, uh, I believe, seven or eight more years in the NBA. But from your perspective, playing for Buffalo, um, 73-74 through 76, um, I believe 77, what was it like kind of playing in the NBA in that era? And who were some of your favorite players you played against and sort of favorite games at the next level? Yeah, well, the thing is, when I played in the NBA, there were only 16 teams. Now there are 30 teams. So if you take those 14 teams and times at times 10 or more, 12, you know, you got 150 people that wouldn't even be in the league. So right. the competition was a lot, lot tougher. And they were, those jobs were tough to come by. Um, my goal, my whole life, because, you know, I wasn't tall, was people thought that I could only – you know, the ceiling was only so high for me. I'll give you an example. When I played at high school, I played in a class B league, North Providence. There was a class A league. So when I averaged 37 points a game and we won the state championship, they said, you know, he's good, but, you know, he plays in a class B league. If he played in a class A league, you know, he probably wouldn't do what he did. Then I went to prep school and I thought that was the smartest move I ever did. I had to go because I didn't have the second year of algebra and a foreign language. And so I had to go for my academics. But the thing was, I thought I was pretty good after high school, but I realized that one year in prep school, I got so much stronger and quicker and we were playing against, you know, college teams and we were beating them. And I went down to DC and played in the Knights of Columbus tournament. And I was the MVP. I led the tournament in scoring. 
I won the free throw championship 24 out of 25. So I, I really had a dominant, dominant uh, tournament. And, you know, my stock was sky high. Then when I became a freshman at Providence, you know, they said he's a great freshman player. He averaged 29 points a game. But can he make the varsity? So then when I start on the varsity, well, he, you know, he, he starts, well, can he be a pro? So my point is to you, in my mind, I had to play in the NBA to play against the greatest players and prove to, to, to other people how good I was as a player. So that was the driving force that made me go to the NBA to compete against Jerry West, Oscar Robinson, Earl Monroe, Archibald, Calvin Murphy, Jabbar, you know, players of that, Rick Barry. There were so many great, great players. And so uh, there's no better feeling, Billy, than when you go play against the team and you, you know, you win and you get 25 points and, you know, 12 assists. And you go back to your room and you look in the mirror and you say, you just did it against the greatest players in the world. That, that was the thing that drove me, you know, to go to the NBA. Absolutely. Very, very, very well said. Uh, what was it like at the end of the, your NBA career ending with the Celtics, like ending with the, with the hometown team? Yeah, the best thing about that was I was able to throw John Havlicek his last basket. I had the John Havlicek assist for his last hoop. And I enjoyed playing with uh, Havlicek. He was just a great, great guy. You know, you look back on my career and you it could have lasted longer. I got out really quick when I was, you know, 27 years old. But to play five years in the NBA and be rookie of the year and, uh, you know, my high point total was 36 points. They had no three-point play. I had 25 assists my rookie year at Portland on the road where they don't pat them. So I had some really, really, you know, great games. And uh, I have no regrets. You know, it was a lot of fun playing with the, the Celtics and the Lakers and, and Buffalo. And uh, time passes and it goes on. <laughs> so let's talk about the book, A Star with yep. a Broken Heart. Obviously, yep. the title kind of leads into, you know, the different, the different up and down experiences you had in your basketball career. And then, you know, losing your basketball family of Dave Gavitt and Marvin Barnes as time went on. You know, for, for the PC Fryer fans out there who haven't gotten the book yet, which they should, and we'll talk about where they can get it, what are some of your favorite things about writing the book? And I know you've, you've written a book before. You've written a children's book. And I, is this your third book? Yeah. I, you know, I've, I've written a, a two children's book, one uh, about Alfonso Saves the Planet, about the environment, and one a little children's nursery rhyme. I haven't published it yet, but it's – you know, it's registered with the uh, U.S. Congress of Books. So this book was special because, you know, uh, Providence College meant everything to me because of, you know, being a local kid and my family could watch me play and sharing the thrills. And uh, I was very, very close to Coach Gavin and to Marvin. And I, I read the, I read a book about you know, when Ted Williams was sick in Florida and he was dying and his teammates, Johnny Pesky and uh, Dom DiMaggio and a bunch of players jumped in a car and they spent the last days of his life with him. And I felt 
that this was a book where I could tell about all our good times and our bad times and, you know, explain how much they mean, meant to me and how important they were in my life. And uh, I've gotten some great, great reviews and sold a lot of books. And I've gotten a lot of people in the movie industry interested in doing a movie about the book. But what makes the book special is it's from me and from my heart. You're Italian and you know how the Italians are. They, they take everything to heart. And Amen. this is a book that tells, you know, how great the times were and how bad the times were and how sad the times were. And uh, it was a lot of fun writing it. And uh, the, the funny way how I came up with the title is I go back to Buffalo all the time because I got a lot of friends and I do a lot of autograph shows and <clears throat> speaking engagements and stuff. And I go a lot by myself. And one time I was driving in my car and, uh, you know, it's 450 miles. So you got to yeah. stay awake. So sometimes you talk to yourself, you sing to yourself. And I was just singing to myself. And I said, a star with a broken heart, a star with, and I said, Jesus, that's the name of the book. So I called my daughter who graduated PC, was an English major, she loved it. I called my best friend, Ben Camerata, who's the founder of TJX, and he loved it. And that's how I came away with the title of the book by just, you know, riding in my car, singing to myself. That's awesome. You never know, hey, you never know what's gonna come to your mind on a, on a, on a drive to Buffalo. That's, a, that's certainly a long drive, especially for a, a Rhode Islander. I'm pretty impressed that you make that drive. <laughs> I do it all the time, I love it. Um, and obviously, you know, iconic to your story and Marvin's story. I always think of the picture of you guys in front of the state house, like that, yeah. that promotional photo of you both with your PC jerseys on the basketball, like the basketball is like right in front of the state house, like two Rhode Island guys bringing the program to a final four. And obviously Dave Gavitt too. And his, I mean, does Dave, I don't know if Dave Gavitt even gets enough credit for making the Big East, you know, the Gavits don't get enough credit for making the Big East what the Big East was. And yeah, well, he's in the Hall of Fame, and uh, you know, he was brilliant. There's no one smarter than him. He was, uh, he was honest as the day is long, and he was brilliant. He always used to tell me, "You always have to think outside the box." That was his famous line. If I could remember anything that he always told me always thing outside the box. And that's what he did with the uh, Big East. And and that's how he got it to be so successful. And uh, it's still thriving and doing great, all because of his vision. Let's talk about PC now. So I know that you've built a relationship with Kim English and you come to practices and I've seen you courtside as well um, in some games. Like, what has it been like for you to watch PC now? Well, I, I like the way he coaches. I think his players really um, have formed a bond with him because he really gets, you know, to know him and he really, you know, has a great relationship with him. I like their team. And even though they lost, you know, Hopkins, who could be arguably their best player, I still think, and I told uh, Devin Carter and Corey Floyd, you guys beat Marquette. And I think they'll punch their ticket because they're right there. They're knocking on the door. 
The one game that haunts me is that Butler game. You know, when they absolutely that, that one hurt. And we couldn't let that one get away last night, but we didn't. So I like what they're doing. I think they play tremendous defense. They work really hard at practice all the time. And uh, if they're making those three-point shots, you know, they're going to be a tough out. So uh, I'm very impressed. And, and I think Devin Carter is a real beast. Uh, I um, know his father, you know, is in the NBA. And I got to believe that in the summertime, he plays against NBA players and he knows how to play hard because he really plays hard on both sides of the, the ball. And uh, I think Corey Floyd's a great athlete when he takes the ball to the basket. I think he, he uh, can be a huge asset. He gets in there and rebounds. And the, uh, the kid Pierre shot the ball real well the last couple of games. He's getting better, better at the point position. Castro gave him a good night last night. And uh, Oduro's been playing great. He might be the best big guy in the country. So they're, they're doing a lot of great things. They, uh, ticket gains, I seen him today, and I told him, you know, that block he made it had to be one of the greatest plays in PC history. Yeah, I mean, usually they really call was. foul. And that was unbelievable, wasn't it? It was, it was. He, he knew exactly when to kind of rotate over. Hands were directly up, made contact directly with the ball. It, it, it was it was beautiful, especially you know he's got the mask on, and it's like you know, it was it was a poetic moment. That was scary at the end, but we got it, and that's a huge win, nine and seven. So Joey Hassett tells me he thinks if they win eleven, they're in. I'd go get twelve just to make sure. Absolutely, always like a little bit of insurance, especially when that selection Sunday show comes on. Exactly. Um, are there any moments in your, you know, like post your, your, your playing career at PC that like you can think of, like whether it was like the Ryan Gomes teams or Sham God, or even recently that like, you're like, wow, that was some good memories or some good games you've watched. Oh yeah. I've seen some great games. I've seen one time, uh, uh, who the heck was the coach? Uh, it might've been, I forget, but they played at home against Georgetown and they played out of their minds. They, it might have been Cooley, and they, they beat Georgetown. when Georgetown was really good. So PC's had some great, great games and some great coaches. Uh, I, I mean, I, I've had season tickets for like, you know, for 40 years, and I've seen some great games. And I think this team right here has got a lot more in them. And I think this team right here can be very exciting because uh, – that that game against Marquette will be a battle, right? Because Marquette knows we beat them at home here. They're going to come out. They got some talent. But I think PC plays that tough defense. And if they can rebound the ball and hit some threes, they can beat anybody. Yeah. The way Josh has obviously been playing, you know, you know, having 25, 30 points, you know, plus, plus double doubles in the rebounding category, like, he's really obviously kind of coming to his own and seeing some of the role players, even Rich Barron kind of stepping into a starting role and making those three pointers. We're starting to see the team form that identity. Obviously it was a little bit tougher to kind of do that on the fly when Bryce went down immediately, but the identity that we're seeing from this team right now is a team that can definitely do some damage in March. Uh, yeah. It's really exciting to watch. Um, but to kind of close out, no, I mean, you know, Obviously, you know, you come in from right down the street in North Providence and having one of the best, you know, careers in PC history to playing in the NBA, playing against those greats and coming back. Like, you know, what is what is your overall kind of take to the fans of like, 
your journey from when you started at PC to now, like, you know, if you could kind of summarize it in, in a couple sentences. Well, I think people love Providence college basketball. Somebody said to me on a text, you know, are you surprised at how many lives you've touched? And I said, you know, Providence college has a history of having some great players down the line. And I remember way back when, when they used to win the NIT and they used to have parades that started in Connecticut at the line and they would drive in and there'd be people lining the roads up. So there've been many great, great players at Providence College. I'm just one of the many. And I'm very fortunate to have, you know, people respect me for uh, being who I am and, and being a, uh, a, a one of PC's top players. Absolutely. No, it's love, love the vibe you bring. Like, you know, when I, I've seen you a couple of times at games, you know, taking photos and, 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 and saying hi to fans. It's, it's a really cool experience. It's very unique to, Pro, like, as I, I always tell everybody, you know, being a Providence native myself, you know, Providence, Rhode Island is a very unique place. It's a very small place. Everybody knows everybody, especially if you're from the same places, you know, where my dad grew up and where you grew up. Um, and, and Providence basketball is an extension of that, right? And it's, it's, it's very unique in itself that, you know, we're the main show in town. And because of that, like, we're able to kind of like all the kids growing up, like they idolize PC basketball players and, and going to games at the the dunk and now amp. So it, it's, uh, you've obviously been a big part of that. And, you know, for all those listening out there and when we drop the podcast, like where can they get the book? My partner in this thing is Providence college. And the, the only okay. place that has the book is the Providence college bookstore. But if they Google okay. the Providence College Bookstore, there is a pot right there, an app right there where they can get it personalized by me and sign. And I go in the bookstore and sign it. And we mail it out the next day. So the Providence College Bookstore, Google that and they will find a star with a broken heart. That's awesome. I'll make sure to make sure that everybody knows that's where they can grab it. Well, Ernie D, it's an absolute pleasure to chat with you. Thank you for a lot of great memories, you know, for my family and so many people, you know, that have grown up loving college basketball, specifically PC basketball, and then playing in the NBA. And, and we're really looking forward to seeing what this team does with the rest of the season. Me too, and thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. You got it, Ernie. Go Friars. <laughs>